You know, I've always been interested in writing and speaking and storytelling. I was watching Boomerang, you know, that Eddie Murphy film? And I remember there just watching that like, oh my gosh, there's these high powered women working in these really opulent environments. What is that? But I've always felt like, oh my gosh, it just seems so glamorous and fun. It wasn't glamorous and fun. Well, I knew it wasn't going to be forever. That's what I knew for sure. So I was like, while I'm here, what are the skills that I could learn? Lose the ego. Because most times, when you're not talking up is because you're in your head. You're making it about yourself when you need to focus on your message. You can have courage or comfort, but not both. Everything is a frequency and it's like you either lower your frequency or people rise up to yours, right? And welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where you get to listen and learn how to lead yourself personally and professionally through the lessons and life experiences my guests share in the hope that it challenges and inspires you to lead yourself from the inside out and not the outside in. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Leadership. And today I have an amazing guest. This is someone who is highly sought after. I mean, she just had 13 and a half thousand plus people sign up for a LinkedIn careers talk and that's not that's not been done yet, it's not been started yet, so sure number's gonna rise for sure. So when I say she's highly sought after, she sure is. And you know, I don't like bios. I like people, I don't feel it do people just. So I'm gonna ask her to introduce herself, which should come easy to her. This is this is her in her back. So over to you. Who are you? What you do, what are you about? Oh, well, thank you for having me on. Um, my name is Marielle Ligier. I wear a few hats. I'm a LinkedIn top voice, LinkedIn learning instructor and keynote speaker. But I often say that my superpower is helping professionals and entrepreneurs increase their visibility so that they can attract more opportunities through personal branding. So that's what I do. I'd say you're someone who's been doing this for a very long time, both corporate and environment, and now you do it for yourself and for personal clients yes but one of the things i find really intriguing about you um you are an introvert and you talked about this quite a bit and i was like how does someone who is an introvert get into the world of pr and helping people be visible so i was curious like if i should go way back to a younger version of you a teenage version of you what were you like then yeah that's a great question um well, to me, you know, introversion doesn't necessarily mean that you're shy. I think oh, people often com- confuse the two. I'm definitely not shy. I'm somebody that just builds my energy up alone. You know, I need to have that alone time. But I, I actually love networking. I love talking to new people. And if I think back to my teenage years, I was definitely just a low-key teenager you know I I would love reading I would love cooking and just doing things kind of low-key things I'll go to the odd party here and there but I was pretty chilled and pretty um much a homebody and I still am <laughs> yeah such a surprising to hear you say that you're still a homebody because if people just look at you like Mario's out there like <laughs> you're attending different events you're seeing different people that's what that's the impression that you you kind of get and give and I've been saying that from then to now, that hasn't necessarily changed. I love the fact that you actually sh- also shared around the, I want to say the stereotypes people can tend to have around introverts. 
But was this always something that you always wanted to step into from a very young age? Or was it something that you accidentally stepped into? How did that journey actually begin for you? In terms of the work that I do today? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I guess, you know, I've always been interested in writing and speaking and storytelling. And I think if I look back at my journey, it's always been along those realms. I've always been telling stories. I spent nearly 20 years working in PR. Um, and that is obviously all, all about storytelling. Now the work that I do is still about storytelling. I still share my story um, to for, to help form a connection with people. Uh, so I've always kind of been within that realm, but it's just kind of taken different titles and guises, if you will. When you started off in PR, was that something you did at uni or was that something that you you tried and you loved? Like, what was that initial journey we were right from a very like 17, 18, 19 year old you? Well, I kind of fell into it, you know, so <laughs> be random, but I was watching Boomerang, you know, that Eddie Murphy film, Boomerang? Classic. Yeah, <laughs> and it's set in, I think it's Manhattan, big skyscraper building, and that is adver- that's like an advertising agency. And I remember there just watching that, like, a young mate, I was maybe like 14, 15 at the time, thinking, oh my gosh, like, there, there's these high-powered women working in these, um, you know, really opulent environments. What is that? And so it was either advertising or, or PR. There's kind of like a clear distinction between the two. But I've always felt like, oh, my gosh, it just seems so glamorous and fun. It wasn't glamorous and fun. <laughs> it really wasn't. Um, but it did give me good tools that I could kind of take with me. So I started in PR in 2005. I was working at a PR agency. I remember I had to kind of audition for the part whereby we had to fill out an application and there was I think like 500 applicants from around the country and I and another girl there was just two of us that were actually chosen to work at the agency and that in itself was like wow to to be selected from a pool of 500 applicants down to two and I remember even the job interview was like it's very rigorous actually for like a for a graduate job we had to um, they gave us a brief and we had for a client at the time who was a poker client and they said hey we want you to create a, advers- a PR campaign for this poker client and at the time I was like oh my gosh what do I do so what I did that I thought was genius even back then was I designed my notes on a pack of A4 um cards so I made them look like actual cards right so we had ace and spades and I drew all like the diamonds and the hearts and then when I was in the meeting audition with the big execs I drew from the pack and I presented to them the brief as if I was like drawing like a pack of cards and they were just like whoa Um, so, so I got that job didn't necessarily enjoy PR because it just felt I mean, this is where my introversion really began to hold me back because it was such a noisy environment. It was like you had music playing, you had the radio playing and it was just like chaotic. And then you had just just so much noise. And I did. that's when I really realized, oh my gosh, I don't like working in such highly stimulated environments. Um, but on the plus side, that's where I learned about um, new business, how to pitch new business, how to write 
because at the time I had no idea how to even write a press release. And we're always writing, we're always communicating. So that job was perfect to to help me kind of learn like the foundational skills that still, uh, you know, serve me well in the work I do today. So it was a great stepping stone. How do you navigate when you're in spaces where you know this is not right for you? I could say this high stimulation, but at the same time, it's also an environment that allows you to learn those different skills that you had. Because there are times where you have to balance one and the other one. So how do you make the right call or how did you navigate making the right decision around that at that point in time for you? Yeah, well, I knew it wasn't going to be forever. That's what I knew for sure. So I was like, I'm going to just learn all that I can and make the most of this time in my life. I know it's not going to be long term. So while I'm here, what are the skills that I could learn and really just put fully, you know, place myself and be there, be fully present in the role. Uh, but within 18 months, I decided to go to university, back to university and um, study my master's. So, yeah, it was good for what it was for, for that short period. But I knew that it wouldn't be forever. And that's kind of what keeps me going, you know. So having that deadline in mind. Yes. Be like, that's that's the goal we're aiming for. So between now and then I can do it. So that's quite helpful to actually. And it just keeps you motivated as well, right? Because otherwise you could be thinking, oh my gosh, this is my life forever. No, it doesn't need to be. As long as you've got a plan and you work towards that plan daily, you're fine, you know. And you have talked about the fact that you roughly spent about 15 years, like helping CEOs and execs, like raise their profile, shall I say, and raise their visibility. What was that for you being, dealing with high powered people and having some conversations? I know does some work previously I know people had to edit like CEO um, keynotes and talks some of those conversations have not always gone very well always been always appreciated in the right way even though what you said was or the right what that person was saying was quite correct so how did you navigate being in that space for so long what were some of the I guess the highs and the lows for you yeah I mean it was definitely character building for sure and for me I think I'm so grateful for that time because there's nothing more character building than being in like a high pressured environment, working with very busy, white, middle-class males and you're not quite, you don't quite fit in. So I think for a start, I had to really just learn how to connect with them on a deeper level. I had to learn the importance of rapport, establishing rapport. Um, just those soft interpersonal skills that were never really taught. You only learn when you're in it, in the job. Um, so that's what I did. That's what I kind of set about learning, uh, just learning how to build relationships with people, how to get a win-win, how to get buy-in from them. So that was key. And then also just being, you know, likable, just trying to get them on side. And um, yeah, I would say those are the main things that have helped. Is being likable a skill or does it come naturally to put some people? I think you can learn it. I think all skills, a skill and a talent are very different things, right? So skills you could learn. You could definitely learn to be likable. There's certain traits. I've actually just come off a, a, a seven-day intensive NLP course, which is neuro-linguistic programming. And that is all about how to, a, a key part of it is about rapport building. Um, so that's, a, you know, matching body language, for instance. Eye contact is really important. There's certain things that you could do to quickly get people on side. So absolutely, I would say it's a skill. It's someone who consistently keeps on learning. 
like even just the short conversation I've kind of picked up from you, like university masters, obviously other courses you've done, the one you just currently finished right now. Why is learning so important to you? Because you also hear the narrative around you can learn all you want, but the application is where the wisdom comes in and the execution it's what's key. But you seem to have you obviously we see you execute and you're doing that really, really well. But that learning is really, really important to you for sure. So why is that? I feel like as an entrepreneur, you know, we're constantly evolving. And in this climate, we have two choices. We could stagnate or we could evolve by constantly learning new skills. And um, that's how I'm able to just make a deeper impact. It's called skill stacking, right? You just equip yourself with multiple skills. And I think about um, when I was working at Deloitte in New York, one of the partners who kind of took me under his wing, and this was when I was feeling really miserable in the role, he said, and it stuck with me, he said, you know, you need to master mutual usury. And I was like, what does mutual usury even mean? But he said, you know, they're using you for your labor and you need to think about what can you get from them, right? What can you get from them? So it is mutually beneficial. And that's when a light bulb went off and I thought, oh my gosh, let me just learn every single thing that I can because then it's in your, it's like your toolbox, right? You're not necessarily going to use every single skill immediately, but you could draw on certain things as and when you need them. So for me, that is writing, the ability to write, the ability to speak well, the ability to command an audience, right? As a keynote speaker, the ability to tell stories, all of those things are in my toolbox and I draw on whichever one I need depending on my environment. When I listen to you say that and I think to myself, okay, that sounds absolutely great. The fact that you have those different skill sets that you can use and call and whatever you need to. But there also needs to be a a belief that you have in yourself. One, either to be able to have that mindset to go like learn everything that you can or two, to be able to pull those different things out of you. And you've written in the past about how some of the challenge you had even before you got to New York was working in an environment where you were the only woman, you were being passed off for promotions, different things like that. You had to go on your own self journey and you met a career coach, which was great. But I always say for someone to go and seek out a career coach, there's still a level of self-awareness that is required. So I want to actually hear you speak on that, that what was it that caused that shift for you to be feeling the way you're feeling, being treated the way that you're being treated and recognize that I need to do something about it and then you want to seek help. Because a lot of times, people, a lot of people feel that way, but yet they stay stuck and they don't move forward. I think I had just hit rock bottom, <laughs> to be honest with you. I was like, I'm clearly not, it's not working. Whatever I'm doing isn't working. And Oftentimes we're too close to the situation ourselves. So um, for me, it's just good. To, I've always had, since working with a career coach, I've always kind of since worked with somebody who could almost just light the way for me and I take the steps, right? They're a few steps ahead of me and they kind of just shine that light to help me. But the very first career coach I worked with was, um, I was actually in New York at the time and I was having a really bad um experience working in corporate America you know I'd never worked in corporate America 
definitely character building and um i hired a career coach she was a Ghanaian lady living in new york but british born so she also had an understanding of the two different cultures and how they kind of married together and it was such a light bulb moment because working with her she had me do all of the like these different tests that i've never ever done before so like strengths finders myers-briggs and all of those things and the results came back that I was never meant to work in a corporate environment. Who knew? Because I didn't. I had spent like, at the time, it was like 10 years in working in like, you know, these high powered, big global brands, corporate machines, right? Uh, so she helped me identify that actually that's not aligned to your personality type. You are a creative, you're a visionary, you're, you know, a big blue sky thinker. So working in these very corporate bureaucratic, environments actually crushes your spirit and it, that's what was happening so after I realized that I was like wow now I know who I am on a much deeper level and I can now go off and create my own path and that's what I did well that was in conflict though in because you get that you know that whole narrative upbringing that put your head down work hard your work is free for itself that we tend to naturally get a lot from our family and previous generations to that shifting that mindset mentality to be like, actually, you know, all those tests are telling me should not be, I can go ahead and do my own thing. It's, it's not straightforward path. It's not a linear path. It doesn't just click. There are a lot of fears and insecurities. And I can definitely speak to personally, but working with clients and another work that you do as well, that's all being real and relevant. And those fears and insecurities are the ones that keep people just stuck even people who are rock bottom so you had that conversation with her and you shifted and you now said like no i'm gonna go after i'm gonna go and get it once you had that in your head about i'm gonna go after i'm gonna go and get it were there any other times when you had doubts around is this the right thing for me or were you just completely resolute from that onwards no i think i was just so clear on what i didn't want and I knew that the path that I wanted to go down, I'm very clear what my values are. So one of them is freedom. A big one is freedom for me, like the freedom to determine how I spend my time, who I work with, the money I make, all of that is based around freedom, right? Um, so once I was very clear on the path, I didn't really deviate away from that. Sure, my business has evolved because I left corporate America in 20, 2016 and I've had very different iterations of the work that I do um, but it's always been on my own terms um, so so yeah I was very clear on the path that I, I well I at least knew that I didn't want to work in corporate again. How do you begin to define your values? Hmm how do you I think a lot of self-reflection a lot of self-reflection and a lot of just thinking about a really big exercise for me that really changed the game was the ideal day exercise. It's in one of my favorite books, which is, which is somewhere here. Um, it's like Lewis House's book. And um, he has you write out what your ideal day is like. So on a really granular level, so you wake up at what time? Which city are you in? Are you in a city or are you in a, in a suburb? Um, what sort of work are you doing between nine to 10? And that really got me thinking and 
when I mapped it out, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm not living my ideal day. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm doing this work and it's kind of like I'm on autopilot. Um, so once I really got clear on, okay, what does my ideal day look like? Then I was able to identify my values because what came up was freedom, creativity, um, impact is a big one for me, impact, income, though those are really big ones. Like like I need to feel like I'm making a big global impact because otherwise I get bored and otherwise I just feel like I'm playing really small. Um, so yeah, that's what helped me get clear. It's quite good to actually have I see values as guiding guiding lights for us to help us to navigate and to to know yep, I'm going down the right path or I'm not going down the right path. Um, so they're quite key. And it's interesting you mentioned, um, we talked about freedom as well, but when you moved from London to New York, you talked about how you were in Brazil, um, you came back, you always had this love affair with New York. For your listeners, Brazil, the Brazil trip is quite relevant because that was like a game-changing tri trip for me because... Up until that point, I had very much been part of the corporate matrix structure, thinking that a nine to five was all there was for me. And it's only when in 2010, I quit my miserable job and booked a one-way ticket to Brazil by myself that I realized actually there's a whole big world out there. I could create whatever I want to create. And I remember sitting there in Salvador, Brazil, I, I could hear the drums, people playing drums and it was beating in the in the mountains. I could hear that and it was just such a spiritual experience. And I'm sat there writing in my journal and just realizing, wow, this is what I've created for myself. I've given myself this time to really just pause and go within and identify who I am at my core. And I realized up until that point, I had never done that. I had always been swayed by other people, people that hadn't even achieved anything that I wanted to achieve they were kind of the people who played it safe it's only when I went to Brazil that I realized actually I am in control I'm in control of my thoughts I'm in control of the actions I take I'm in control of my daily habits and essentially the opportunities I create for myself so that Brazil solo trip was pivotal and it was only then that I had the courage to relocate to New York two years later in 2012. So it was kind of like the the stepping stone for that. How did other people influence you and your thoughts in the way that you just kind of mentioned that? I, I personally took a leader from inside out rather than outside in, which led in us kind of affect our environments rather than the other way around. Because most of the times it is the other way around and you just kind of spoke to that. And I was curious because you're someone who is well-educated, amazing at what you're doing at that point in time. But then you're also letting the voice, like you said, other people who haven't even done anything or gone to the level you want to get to influence you. So how did that actually come about? You know, at the time I didn't have a strong, as I do now, sense of self or self-identity. I was very much influenced by my environment and the peer, the peers in my environment, you know. So they would often say things like, wow, you're going to Brazil by yourself. Who do you think you are? People, black women don't travel by themselves do you think you're white? All of these stupid things. Um, I just didn't, uh, I kind of just had to shut them out in the end because I knew that it was something that I needed to do. And I'm so glad that I did. But but now I think because I've got such a strong sense of self, 
I don't really allow other people to influence me. I've got a very small circle of friends that if I'm facing a problem or a challenge, I would talk to them or I'd talk to my parents. But aside from that, uh, you know, I'm not easily swayed by external people. And how do you begin to, I guess, determine the the right circles and the right environments that both not just match your energy, but elevate you and will sustain you and push you because that's really important. Yes, it is. And um, how do you determine? I think it's it's only really by getting out there. So I was I've just got back from New York. And I'm I'm actually going to be spending much more time in New York again because I realize with the work I'm doing, there's I just get so much more love there. And I think you I think it's important to be where the love is. And you only realize how much more there is for you when you step outside of your front door, right? Like when you step outside of what's comfortable, go to the environment so you realize, wow, actually. There's people out there that that are huge advocates of my work and you need to be around those people. And I think as a creative as well, that's important. If you haven't already, can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's the podcast worth listening to. Which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. In Apple Podcast, if you click the three dots in the top right of your app, Look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. You're in, you're going to New York, spending time there. You're getting more love there. This was a space and a place that you did not have networking. No. Previously. Correct. Like, it sounds, it sounds wild listening to you say that, but that's the reality of it. And I guess I'm curious as to, I know you talked about the power of relationships and building all that things that you, you said um, previously, but I am curious, how is it that you have been able to not just build relationships, but build really strong, I guess, personal brand to the point where, like you say, you feel at home there, you're getting shown love there, and it just feels like I just want to spend more and more time there. Yeah. Well, the first time I, I moved there, as mentioned, was 2012, right? So when I moved in 2012, I was working at um, a global accountancy firm, Deloitte. I was there until 2016 uh, in Deloitte. Um, so, you know, I was very familiar. I was living in Brooklyn, living the whole New York lifestyle. And then in 2018, that's when I decided to come back home to London. Um, but, you know, I've always kind of been back and forth. Like this year alone, I've been there like twice already. I was there in April, um, and I was there just a few days ago, right? So I've I've got a solid group of friends that are there, mainly Londoners, actually, who have moved uh, as well. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a sort of place where it's very easy to manoeuvre and meet people. Much easier than London. I find it very hard, actually, to build relationships with like-minded people in London. I don't think London for me, is an easy place to to build relationships with like-minded people. New York is much easier. How did you, you talk about you going to Deloitte, but you also talked about you had this love affair with the US. New York. New York? 
<laughs> is it specifically just the York or the US? I mean, US, uh, you, you got to keep in mind, US is huge. Yes. Every state is very different. <laughs> and I've not been to, I've been to a lot of the states, but they are so, so different. So I would, I, I would be specific and say New York. New York. Okay. Um, you had a dream to go to New York and you were on a all expenses played, all expenses paid flight to New York to start that journey. How'd you go from, I know people talk about manifesting or thinking about it, but it's like you had this vision and became a reality in a very amazing kind of way. How did you actually bring that to life? Because we all have, people have dreams, people have goals, and it just sits on a board or it sits on a Pinterest board and nothing ever happens to it. So you did it. So I'm curious, like, what's some those tips and gems of wisdom that you can share with people? Yeah, well, you know, I'm uh, I'm a spiritual being, I'm very spiritual, and I believe that our thoughts create our reality. And um, I have always been like a, a kind of very unrealistic in terms of what I want to achieve and what I want to do. So um, back in twenty early 2012, I created a vision board and it was of me walking down the street, put an image of me walking down the street in Brooklyn and I would literally close my eyes, hand on heart, and I would visualise myself. I would put myself in Brooklyn while sitting here in my flat in London and I would just feel into it. So that's the first thing. You really got to feel into it and believe that it's possible for you. But then you got to take micro steps, right? Micro steps towards that goal. So for me, that looked like reaching out to people on LinkedIn who were either based in New York or who had lived in New York. And I sent them really polite, tailored messages, um, you know, to really just try to, again, build rapport with them, get them on side to help me. I put myself on a flight. I paid for that flight by myself and put myself there, flew myself out to New York to to start networking with the um, Deloitte New York people, had network had coffee meetings with them, applied for a job, and that's how I was able to get flown out there a few months after that. Um, they paid for everything, um, and I think sometimes when we don't achieve our goals is because we are not taking enough action. Right, it's one thing to have a goal, but you need to be taking those small micro steps towards it and. I've always been very clear on, okay, these are the small steps I need to take consistently to achieve what I want to achieve. In all the things that you have done and you have achieved so far, what are you the most proud of? Hey, what am I most proud of? Yeah, that's a great question. I have to think about that. What am I most proud of? I mean, there, there's a few. I think um, moving to Brazil, I'm not moving, like just going to Brazil by myself, taking that risk. Um, I I actually would say that I'm proud of quitting. Uh, <laughs> proud of quitting. Yeah, proud of quit, quitting um, environments that don't serve me. You know, I don't really hang around for a long time. If I know that something isn't working in my gut, I'm like, okay, I'm out. You know, last year I moved to New York again, but I moved to a neighborhood that was quite sketchy. I was like, I'm out, you know, <laughs> I don't have to stay here. So I would say quitting, <laughs> proud of quitting places and people that don't serve me. I actually think that's really powerful. Yeah. Because we live in a world that 
quit and it's seen sometimes can be seen as a bad thing as i just push through push through and that time i was like nah you you to fall back and just let it go like it's that's it's a sign it's that's not it <laughs> like you should just let it walk away from it i think i have so much faith as well so much faith in my ability to to create to create something new to create something better for myself and i'm like okay this isn't for me and i think there there's a lot of power in that for sure you talk about the faith in yourself i saw something about um you i think this ladies ladies sorry you launched a woman who influenced um then way back women influence yes that was one of my very first brands in 2017 and i read that you you spent time building up and over the years and things like 2020 you lost like five years of work on on your website yes how did you respond to that? Because that is not, that's not minor. That's a major, like, so how did you respond to that? Well, so, so yeah, you know, I had this big website that I invested a lot of time in, had tons of articles, all of my work, and it, it just randomly, well, it, I think it was a server issue. It kind of just was deleted off, off the internet. And I had invested like thousands of dollars on that website. Um, but again, you know, it's funny because I remember talking to a coach at the time and I told her and I was I was a bit upset for like a day and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so upset. I've lost all of my work. The website's just gone. And her response to me was good. I'm glad it's gone because you would not have let, let that go otherwise. And she was right. I wouldn't have. And it was quite cathartic in a way because it's like, okay, let's clear some space so that we could bring in the new. You can't hold on to the past expecting new stuff to come in, right? You've got to let something go, right? Let go or be dragged. So I'd happily just release things in the belief and knowing that actually something better's coming. And I, I love my new website now because it's, it's more me and it's more aligned to the sort of clientele that I want to attract. I, with the Women Who Influence brand, had a website that wasn't actually aligned to me but I was so comfortable and so familiar with it that I was holding on to it so for anyone listening think about what do you need to let go of you know what do you need to let go of to let something else come in so when I think about it like that I'm like okay well bye you know it's fine you're constantly doing that check in your your day-to-day your normal life around are there things to let go of or I just keep on doing certain things yes absolutely I mean I say that now I've just unpacked my suitcase from from being away for a week so I already I don't I feel like you know when you just feel a bit disoriented so yeah but I do think it's important to constantly keep a clear space and to let things go that you don't need in fact that's what I'm going to be doing all of August is just like clearing stuff out and throwing stuff away when you're off do you completely switch off or do you like schedule polls, still have conversations behind the scenes or do you just completely like, no, this is my complete detox time? I think this time I'm just going to switch off. I'm going to put my outer office on and just pause. No posting, no no social media. There's a lot of people that tell you that you should still be on. Like people need to, I don't buy into that. Like my, again, this links to my introversion. I have to really manage my energy and I have to have really really tight boundaries and I know that people probably find that a bit hard to deal with but 
for the work I do, I have to maintain my energy. So yeah, I have to have t those tight boundaries. How do you show up your best? Um, what is it allows you to know that this is me at my best? This is me at 50%. This is me at zero. How do you actually do that? Do you know that for yourself? Yeah, a lot of self-care, you know, that's really important to me. So like good sleep, staying hydrated. Um, I have a sauna blanket as well. I've just used my sauna blanket. So I don't know if you're familiar, but an infrared sauna blanket is essentially, it's a blanket, but it's infrared. It's like infrared inside. So what it does is it helps you, um, it's a really high temperature and it helps you really sweat out toxins and things. So it's just a good way to preserve like your, your, you know, your energy, your, your, um, cells. Um, I do a lot of juicing. I, I do the whole, every, every aspect of like, um, self-care, like juicing, um, journaling, uh, cardio, all of those things. I'm very, very big on self-care. I've got like my massage therapist. She's coming to my house later on. <laughs> so, I mean, it's surprising that I leave my house. I'm, uh, you know. Um, but yeah, so I'm very, very big on all of that. Interested of looking after yourself, like you're you're modeling that, like that's oh yeah. I want to look into that sauna blanket thing for sure. That actually sounds really that sounds really nice because normally you go to the sauna, you go to the gym or whatever. But if you can actually do that at home, you're around other people. I I mean, you, if that's what you're into, but I just prefer to be in my own little blanket. Your sweat, you're sweating, your sweat. You wipe it down afterwards and um yeah for me it's just much more impactful what do you think about what you want to step into next it sounds very much like you are constantly thinking iterating what's that next goal what's that big goal how do you balance both of being grateful for where you're at now while striving for where you want to go to next well i'm very very grateful and i'm actually just really enjoying like this stage that i'm at so if anything, I'm somebody who likes to go deep rather than broad. So right now I've got one keynote that I tend to deliver. I've got um, one framework that I teach and I just go really deep with that. So I improve that constantly, but it is always kind of the same thing that I talk about. Um, and I really just want to focus on that, just improving that. I'm actually going to just take time to work less and focus more on like family relationships and that side of things because by the time you look you know we'll be at the end of the year and I don't just want to be working that doesn't really appeal to me anymore mm -hmm. just last week I did a podcast I was talking about we are um human doings not human beings and it's so easy for us to get into that zone of just going 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 and going and it takes a lot of intentionality just to either stop or slow down and have that constant assessment around us so and it's key absolutely because otherwise you're just looking it's like wow it's summer's you know we're at the end of july now right it's gonna be august in a few days how are you gonna spend that time you know um a friend of mine she suggested creating a joy list and i love that like a list of things that you absolutely love to do i don't have that list right now so i want to create that so that i'm just being very intentional about you know how I'm spending my time. Mm, it's a good idea actually. Then a joy list. A joy list. That is, I like that. Yeah. With um, all the different things you have done and the trainings that you have done, 
and this is a, an impression I get, you can correct me if I'm wrong or not. It sometimes come, comes across that you are surprised at the amount of people that, I don't know, sign up to a LinkedIn course or take the course or do the different things that you put out there. Is that the feeling that is that is my assumption correct that you yours you always come across surprised or is it just like no nah, I, I know I got it like of course I'm gonna say that too because what I'm doing the one yeah I mean don't get me wrong I I believe in myself and I know that I'm good at what I do there's no I'm not somebody who's gonna be self deprecating and saying like oh but I also appreciate how busy people are so and I'm also just grateful you know grateful for the time that people invest, grateful for every single person who takes the time to respond or reply to a comment or sign up to whatever it is I'm doing. Like, I don't take that for granted, but equally, I recognize that I, I've earned my stripes. You know, I, 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 <laughs> I'm not somebody who just walked up yesterday and was like, okay, I, I, this is what I do. You know, I, I invest a lot in learning, learning multiple skills, and I've been in my industry a very long time. Um, so yeah, it's coming from a place of gratitude more than anything else. For someone who, you were to answer this really, really well. In the UK in particular, there is this being super, super humble. Like, don't really talk about your accomplishments, your accolades, your achievements, all that kind of stuff when you do a scene as bragging. In the US, New York, the complete opposite, where you need to talk about what it is that you do um, if you don't, one, who's going to know who you are anyway, but two, it's not bragging or ego. It's just you highlighting different things that you have done. So it's part of the culture. Which energy do you naturally lean into more? Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, I mean, I, I remember being in New York and going to events and things and we'll all have to go around the table and they would say, hey, introduce yourself. Just take 30 seconds to introduce yourself. And people will be there giving like a whole monologue for five minutes. And I'll be like, wow, this would never happen in the UK. So I believe there's like a happy medium. In New York, you have a lot of people that talk a good game and often there's no substance to it. Whereas in the UK, there's people that are so accomplished, but because they don't own it, you immediately kind of just overlook them. And that was initially me when I plonked myself in New York and I was, you know, I would never really advocate or talk up for myself and people would quickly just kind of, oh, move out the way, talk over you because it's like, okay, you're not pushing yourself forward. So I'm happy that I've kind of got the best of both. You know, I'm highly skilled, got, you know, uh, a lot of um, capabilities, a lot of achievements, um, you know, the, the brands that I work with, everything, right, is legit, right? I'm not just somebody who says, oh, I do this. I, I generally do do it. Um, but equally, I think um, there's a time and a place for kind of pounding your chest. So I think there needs to be kind of a happy medium um, because I, I know so many people in the UK that aren't as far as they should be because they are too com they're too comfortable not talking about themselves, Right. And I often say, you know, the best known wins. If people don't know about you, it's very hard in any industry to attract the attention of people. So we all have to make sure that we are promoting what we're doing and obviously make sure that we're credible as well. So I could encourage, for example, those people that you do know who are amazing, but struggle or comfortable with not speaking up, even though they're getting passed by other people who are subpar to who they are. What is it that will get them 
moving and starting to talk a little bit more and just taking those baby steps because that's what they need to do. Lose the ego. Lose the ego. Because most times, nine times out of ten, when you're not talking up, is because you're in your head. You're making it about yourself when you need to focus on your message. And that was a reframe that I had to focus on because for the longest while, I stayed in my head like, oh no, people are going to judge me. People are this, people people don't care. People are more concerned with what they're going to have for dinner, right? Nobody's looking at you. So once you get over that fear and focus on your message, game changer. Because then you would really be able to make an impact by sharing your message to those who need to hear it. So that's the reframe that needs to happen. What's the key message you have for people when it comes to the work that you do that you always want to get across? You can have courage or comfort, but not both, right? You can have courage or you can have comfort, but not both at the same time. So I'm here to empower the the people that I speak with and my clients to really step out in courage, right? Have the faith that whatever it is that you're working on is going to work out for you. But you must take that step and that comes with courage and betting on yourself. So that's really it, you know. It's like, which are you going to choose? Are you going to stay in your comfort zone? Because as you build your brand, as you put yourself out there, you're probably not going to feel comfortable to begin with. You probably are going to be concerned that people are looking at you. But the more courage and the more action that you take, the less you care about other people, you know? Are you ever still in your head about the things that you you put out there or the talks that you do when you're about to get on stage and do you still have, like, I don't know, limiting beliefs that you also still have to navigate or have you got to that stage where it's just like, I know what I'm doing, I'm just, I can just push through on a regular basis? I definitely still have limiting beliefs, but I think they're different. I think before, when I was first starting, it was you know, am I, am I capable of doing this? Now it's like, okay, I know my stuff. How can I 10X it? How can I make it even more impactful? And I think I always want to have that. I always want to feel that I never want to get comfortable where it's to a point where, you know, people kind of just like, oh, she's a bit, she's a bit too relaxed. You know, I always want to have that fire in my belly. I'm doing a um, workshop for a bank in New York on Tuesday and that's why I'm going to be working the weekend because I need to really just make sure that it's amazing right so I could just put out the same presentation that I've done you know for the last six months but where's the fun in that you know I'd want to go up a notch with everything that I do do you have and do you generally have fun in the work that you do yeah oh for sure yeah <laughs> yeah I wouldn't do it otherwise yeah. definitely wouldn't do it Where's the fun in that? You were surprised though. Listen, you 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 know this. Like you worked in environments where a lot of people do stuff and it's not fun. You just feel like you have to do it. And you just keep on getting to that same like hamster wheel. So fun is not always something that is like a one-on-one on the work that most people do. Yeah, but I feel in 2023, with all the resources at our disposal, there's no reason we're we're all gonna die, right? We're all gonna die. There's no reason to be doing stuff you don't love. That's how I see it. <laughs> Are you into human design at all? A little bit. What's your? Do you know your human design type? I do not, actually. Okay, so there's five different archetypes. I'm a generator. The common trait of a generator is that they can't do shit that doesn't excite them, right? So 
So for me, it's like literally soul destroying for me to, and generators, you know, they're very magnetic. They've got a really potent aura. So for me to keep that aura shining bright, I have to do stuff I love because otherwise I'll just be miserable and that's not fun. <laughs> you don't want to be around miserable people. You don't? But naturally speaking, you end up doing that anyway. Just because of the, the way of the world and way people generally operate, the, the mindset, the mentality that you have, the courage that you have, like you said, people tend to lean more into comfort than courage. And learning how to be able to navigate that to ensure that it doesn't affect you, but that's your point of um, knowing yourself, is, is a skill in itself, which I don't think a lot of people think about, but also don't necessarily tend to have. So the way that you're describing really, that's why I was quite curious that it sounds like very much, you know how to be like, even in environments I'm in, I know how to let, not let those environments shape me. I know how to be able to even inflect my own version to the point where I, I leave people better than I find them. I get them to think very, very differently, which is super important. Um, but it's just, that's why I was, I was quite curious as to the fun and the elements of different things like that, that you, you have. Yeah. I think it's the responsibility as well in, you know, as a speaker and a facilitator, as a coach. It's almost like I feel it's my duty, right, to lead people better than I find them. And I can't teach what I don't practice, right? So it's on me to almost fill up my own cup so that I could just pour from that overflow. But if I'm not taking the time to really look after myself and nurture me, then it becomes really hard. So, yeah, I think it's key. And... How do you define leadership? So many definitions of it. I feel it's about lighting the way for others, right? You equip yourself with the tools so that you could light the way and pass the baton back. And um, there's so many ways to be a leader, right? I don't think a leader is necessarily the traditional title, but I think it's a way of being. I think it's certain traits that you possess. So I feel anyone could be a leader. And when you think about the impact that Marielle wants to have in the world, what is that? I think it's about just helping people be just much more courageous in the work that they do, right? To show up powerfully, not play small, not let comfort kind of get the better of them, but to really just live the life they want to live and um, do that boldly and courageously. And I want to help to instill that within people. When you meet people who are not on... On your level, effectively, who are not thinking that way, who have a different mindset. There are people where there are they're willing to listen and do something, and there are people who just want to argue. <laughs> so, <laughs> what do you do in those two instances? Like, how do you decide how much energy to give to, especially the ones who just want to argue versus falling back and be like, "I ain't got time for that." Yeah, that's exactly why I do. Show them love, show them grace, and keep it pushing. You know, simple. Yeah. <laughs> See? I like it. I think a lot of times we can all go up. I guess we're all complicated. Because you have people like, no, I want to prove them wrong. I want to let them know that. And you have other people who's like, I'm not trying to save everyone here. I'm trying to save those or help those who are willing to help themselves. Absolutely. Those are my people, right? Everything is a frequency. And it's like, you either lower your frequency or people rise up to yours, right? So, got a choice to make. And just as we wrap up, you touched on journaling. Yeah. How 
do you stay consistent with journaling? Yeah, I don't. I don't stay consistent with journaling. And that's okay. You know, I don't feel like we necessarily have to stay. You know, I've got a friend, really good friend, Jasmine. She journals every morning. She lives in Miami on a beach, right? So she's happy to go to the beach and journal. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm not blaming my environment, but some days I don't feel like journaling, you know? Some days, I, 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 something I do listen to religiously is the Mind Valley app. It's a really powerful app and there's a load of meditations on there. So sometimes I wake up and I feel like doing a visualization, which is what I did to, earlier today. Or I do some EFT. There's different things that different modalities that I tap into. Journaling is one of them. Um, but yeah, I don't always feel that I have to do that. I, I like to mix it up. EFT? Emotional freedom. I'll have to Google. Let me Google it actually. But um, it's tapping basically. Huh. And it's just really powerful. And I always forget what it, what it sounds for. Emotional freedom technique. I haven't heard about that before. You'd basically tap on your meridian points, but it helps to release like blocked stagnant energy, old memories, uh, reinforce new ones. But it's really, it's a really powerful method to, to kind of release old, old um, triggers and trauma. See, I'm learning a lot today. Like, <laughs> I am learning a lot today. I was like, okay, I'm going to look into that one as well. Yeah, no, it's really, really good. Really powerful. Uh, but thank you thank you for coming on thank you for this um conversation and for me i think it's like it was like i said you did amazing work out there you show up you share and you give to people um but it's also quite important just to like just peel back some of those layers and see like when you go into where you were to the courageous person that's showing up right now people can learn so much from all that and you've just kind of broken into that a little bit more so thank you very much yeah, so welcome. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, you know, anything I could do to support you and your work, let me know. But um, yeah, I hope you got value from this. I did. Thank you. This is Everyday Leadership. We'll see you all next week. While you're still recovering from that amazing conversation, let me give you a quick preview of what we got coming up next week. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. I am a classic overthinker. I tell people there is a little bit of an introvert in me and introverts, we live in our head. So we like to think about things a lot. What I have learned with time is greater awareness in terms of when I get into that sort of overthinking cycle and where are they going to say, da, 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 how should I do it? Da, 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 da. Once I start seeing myself going down the rabbit hole, it's sort of saying, okay, just stop. Just put it in perspective. I'm a person, they're a person. I have an objective that I'd like to go in there, this organization. They are, they are looking to turn out with people in this organization. I literally just start talking myself off of the ledge because sometimes I have to do that. 